Let's pray together first. Father, we come to you this morning just thankful again that uh, we actually have your written word. We pray for those language and people groups that as yet do not have that blessing. We're thankful, Lord, that um, that number is is being reduced, and we thank you for that. We pray that that will you will continue to enable those who are working to bring your word to other people, and which makes me think of missionaries and the fact that my son-in-law is going to be preaching in a few minutes. And so we just pray your blessing on Sean and that uh, uh, you would speak through him with power and uh, by your spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh. <laughs> wow. So... Well, you know what's happening here is that was my phone that went off, and I am just totally, totally flustered here. Okay. Yes. Yes. Let's let's go. Let's do read the word. <laughs> okay. Mark chapter twelve, verse thirty-five. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said. How can the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like, and like greetings in the marketplaces, and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money in the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he calls his his disciples to him, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contribute out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Um, let me get organized here. How's everyone? Yeah? Anyone else try to go to the beach yesterday? Not me. I heard stories. <laughs> um, well, it's a privilege to get to, to speak to you again because I should be not here at this point. But um, 
yeah, a little update on the, the visa uh, situation, if um, you were wondering, is that uh, this past week we got our paperwork back from overseas, and on Wednesday I was able to go to San Francisco and turn that into the consulate. And so um, now next Wednesday, or this coming Wednesday, we can go back and get fingerprinted, and then four days after that we should have our visas in hand. So, um, yeah, that's good news, and at the same time, it's, um, you know, it's always sad to, to leave. So um, thanks for being with us in that and praying for us and, um, yeah, all of that. Um, we appreciate it. I'm going to pray one more time. Jesus, thank you so much for your Holy Spirit um, that you are with us here today, God, that you want to speak to us. And so, yeah, I'm just going to give us um, just a few moments, uh, 30 seconds, to just um, do what uh, I think Joe and my father-in-law said, is to be willing to receive from you, God. So would you just have that posture with me, along with me, for the next moment? God, thank you um, that it's only by your Holy Spirit that we can be willing to hear from you, myself included. So we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, about 10 years ago, 11 now, I, uh, when I uh, was graduating um, college, uh, the Lord asked me to um, not do what I was planning to do, uh, which was to be, I studied engineering, and then I was going to go to business school and be what my grand dream was to be an executive in an engineering firm. And um, the Lord kind of, not kind of, very much interrupted that <laughs> and asked me to uh, do something completely unrelated to that and serve him in missions. And that started me on a journey with, of course, um, God in a different direction, but primarily with money. And um, if I were honest with you, all through college, um, money very much drove me. And if you heard me share last time, I don't come from a family that, you know, no, no one had been to college. And I was kind of had this pride and expectation on, <laughs> um, to be something, to, to, to make money. Um, and so uh, if I look back now, I, 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 can, I, I just am like, wow, God, I mean, you've done a significant work in my heart in this area of money. And that was the beginning of it. Um, and uh, so today we're going to talk about money. <laughs> uh, always a fun topic, right? But um, I hope that in 10 years from now, I will be able to say the same thing. Like, wow, God, like, look at what you've done, Right. From, from this moment. And um, that's the posture that I want to have. Um, and so uh, Mike has already actually, even though my father-in-law read from 35 to 44, he's already done 35 to 40. So we're only going to look at 41 through 44, which is the story of the widow's might, if you've heard it. Um, and I totally forgot to turn this on. I didn't get ready yet. Um, hang on. Use that in a moment. Is it on? Okay. I think it's just the first slide. Um, so, uh, <laughs> little flustered, just like my father-in-law. I feel you. 
I feel you, man. I got you. My phone, you know, this thing, uh, all this stuff here. Though the obvious context of and, and premise of this passage is money and specifically giving, um, there's actually a, a, a grander and a, a larger and even, I would say, a more primary theme in this passage of the widow's might. And so today, what I want to do is uh, kind of look at that and, um, and then uh, find that greater theme with you and then from that theme, reinsert money and uh, look at what it might look like to live by faith in the context of our money. Um, and so in uh, Mark 12 through 41 and 44, we have this story where Jesus sits down, it says, opposite the treasury. And I don't know about you, but I, particularly when reading the Gospels, love to imagine myself in the text. And this is actually an ancient practice that uh, Ignatius of Loyola kind of uh, uh, put into his exercises, they're called. Really uh, amazing things, but he would do this. He would insert himself into the story and imagine himself there. So I'm going to kind of help us do that. And um, this is hopefully going to help us do that. And this, if you don't know, is a, uh, an aerial view of modern-day Jerusalem, and specifically the Temple Mount. And over, I think I have a laser pointer, over here is the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall that you may be familiar with. And the reason people go there is because it was closest to the, back in Jesus' day, the Temple. And so this is what the Temple Mount looked like back in Jesus' day. You see the flat rectangular just like you saw before, but instead of a mosque, which is there now, that's called the Dome of the Rock, back in Jesus' day was the Jewish temple. And Jesus, in this passage, is actually sitting right here in this courtyard. And how we know that is because the text says he sat opposite the treasury. And most scholars believe the treasury was right under these porticos. So when I'm reading this passage, I want to imagine myself there. And I just imagine, you know, Jesus sitting on these stairs right here. This is going up to the next inner uh, courtyard. Jesus is just sitting right here opposite this. Or maybe he's sitting right here underneath his portico to get some shade. He's sitting catty corner, right? And he's watching. And it says that he sees many rich people coming and putting in large sums, right? And then we get to verse 42. 42 says, And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. Now I want to zoom in on this verse, verse 42, because I think it's going to do, help us kind of zoom out to that larger theme that I was just talking about. Verse 42 is really interesting to me. Again, another practice that I like to do, especially when reading the Gospels, is to kind of act like I've never um, read this or heard this story before. And kind of ask myself, what questions would I have about this passage? And the first question that I have about this passage when I read this text with kind of fresh eyes or even skeptical eyes is verse 42. It says, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And the question I have there is, why did the author 
feel the need to describe the amount twice. He says two small copper coins or two small coins, and then he says, which makes a penny. That's weird to me. And the reason here is that Mark is talking to a Greek audience about a Jewish situation, right? She's a Jewish widow being watched by a Jewish rabbi in Jerusalem at the Jewish temple. But Mark is speaking to Greeks, and the text is in Greek. So he's trying to give them some perspective now, the amount, if uh, you read it in the Greek, and I don't speak Greek or haven't, you know, done my Greek theology, but you can look at blueletterbible.com. It has interlinear. This is what I do often, and I go, and we, you can see in the Greek, the Greek word there for two small copper coins is lepta. Oops. And a lepta was a Jewish coin, okay? And this is what many scholars think a lepta was. They found some. But the word after that, the, the penny, what your text translates is penny, is, it says, a quadrantis. So the text actually reads, she put in two lepta, which equals a quadrantis. Change my notes here. Again, He's describing a Jewish situation to a Greek audience. And Mark feels it's necessary to give them perspective, to help them understand what the amount is. So if Mark thinks it's important, then we probably should too, right? That's probably important to the story if Mark makes a point to kind of highlight that to his reader, to his audience. In English, this word is translated penny, or maybe in your text it says a few cents. And the reason that we translate, that the, they chose that, is because a penny is our smallest denomination, right? Well, do you know what a quadrantus is? It's also the Roman, the smallest uh, uh, Roman unit, a quadrantus. So we just went, boom, that makes sense to the English reader, right? Quadrantus, penny, we get that idea. But it's kind of a little bit misleading. And if you look in your text, you can, you can read in the, in the footnotes what a quadrantus is. And it says in your footnotes, it's a 164th of a what? A denarius. Here's a denarius. Now, when you look at this, you might be like, oh, yeah. Because just a few weeks ago, Mike spoke about this when the, the, the scribes come to Jesus, right? And they say, hey, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And he says, someone get me a denarius, right? And it has the Caesar on it, right? And he goes through the, the, the he says what he says. A denarius was a day's wage in Roman society, okay? Now, um, if we're to understand this amount, we have to understand what a denarius is. And so I did some, like, calculations and, you know, kind of tried to figure this out. And I just went, you know, what if we went with, like, $15 an hour? That's kind of a, you know, like a mediocre wage in our society, right? It's a mediocre, you know, a kind of average wage. 
And then I multiply that by eight hours a day. That's about $120. But wait, an ancient person, you know, there's no labor laws, right? There's no, you know, can't do this and can't do that, right? I mean, these people worked hard. They probably worked more like 16 hours a day. But let's be conservative, right? And just say 12. Say they just worked from sunup to sundown right? 12 hours a day. That's $180. I mean, it makes sense now that why Jesus asked. You know, he didn't have it on him. He's like, hey, does anybody have a Daenerys around here, (laughs) right? I mean, that's a significant amount of money. And a Codrontis is a 64th of that. So what we're talking about here is more like $3. And why that's important and why I think Mark made a point to say that is because though this amount is small, it is not insignificant. When I read this text and I say, a penny, a penny, I mean, what if this woman, you know, when I get a penny right back, I leave it in the take a penny, leave a penny thing. I'm like, this could help someone else because it ain't going to help me, right? Like, what if she just went over there in absolute indifference to this last insignificant amount? I can't do anything with this. I'm just going to, maybe it'll help someone else. Leave a penny, take a penny. At the Jewish temple. Maybe it was just indifference. Or maybe, maybe it was disgust. Maybe she took this coin in front of, deliberately in front of these scribes that were putting in large sums of money and said, look at what you've done. This is what you've done to me. I mean, just two verses before, Mike read it last week, who devour widows' houses. Here she is. Two verses later. What if it was disgust? What if it was spite? Look. But $3, $3 is a little different. A quadrantis, to the Greek reader, is a little different. Oh, that's like, she could have bought some oil. She could have bought flour. She could have hitched a ride on a donkey out to the fields and gleaned like the Jewish law required. I mean, this is small, but it is not insignificant. This is this woman's last amount to survive. Now, this is important because, again, though the context of this story is money and specifically giving, the broader theme here and the theme that we'll see that Jesus is pointing out is actually faith. This was not indifference. This was not spite. This woman, it took courage. She could have done something with that. It was enough. It was viable, if only for another day or two. Look at what verse 43 says. And he called Jesus, he called his disciples to him and said to them, 
And again, I just go back into my picture and I imagine Jesus, right? I imagine some disciples standing over here and some, you know, kind of talking over here. Maybe some, you know, sitting with Jesus. And Jesus is like, hey, 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 guys, 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 look, look. Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Again, Jesus is affirming that this is a sign. It's enough to live on. All she had to live on. I want to point out two words in verse 44 here that I think will help us um, understand the significance and and why Jesus is pointing this out. Look at, um, in verse 44, it says, for they all contributed out of their abundance. The Greek there um, for abundance is this word, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it, Um, but it means exceeding a fixed measure, the leftover, okay? And the NASB translate this word abundance, the surplus. They all gave out of their surplus. All their needs were met. All of their, the things that they needed, they were full. Their bellies were full. They had house and, and comfort. And then they took out of their surplus. Here you go, God. But she... Out of her poverty. And the word for poverty there is hysteresis. I know how to say that one. I looked that one up. And it means not measuring up. Lack. It is literally the opposite. If this is the line of enough. And they took out of their surplus. But she gave out of her absolute lack. What she absolutely needed. Again, this affirms that this was a viable amount. She absolutely needed this to survive. They out of their surplus, but she out of her absolute need. This story, more than anything, is about faith. Jesus in the gospel is always calling out faith, right? The the, the woman with the issue of blood, she touches him who touched me right he finds her and then he makes a point your faith has healed you the centurion right he comes jesus just don't come to my house just 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 say the word and he will be healed not in all of israel have i seen such faith always jesus is pointing out faith now if that's the case if jesus is always pointing out faith then we should probably be wise to know one what faith is and two how to live by it. After all, Scripture does say we are saved through faith, right? But also, we live by faith. It's not just the start of the journey. It is the journey. The journey with God is faith. So we should probably understand what that is, right? So I want to give you a simple definition of faith, and to do that, I want to just share a story with you about a man named Charles Blondin. Charles Blondin was a tightrope walker, And you may be familiar with the story because his most famous 
uh, enduring act was his tightrope walk over Niagara Falls in 1859. And this man spread a wire across Niagara Falls, 1,100 feet. That's almost a quarter of a mile. 165 feet up, no safety net, no safety line, nothing. And he put the word out, and the crowds gathered, right? I mean, what better thing is there to do in 1859 than watch a man maybe die as he walks across the line, right? So Charles Blondin says he's going to do this. He gets up there, and with the crowd watching in utter awe, he walks across the line, 1,100 feet. That's not like, you know, a two-minute thing, right? He gets to the other side, and then he asks for a blindfold, and he goes back. When he got to the other side, he asks for a frying pan, an egg, and a small stove, and he walks out to the line, sits down, cooks the egg, and eats it before returning to the other side. This is a true story. I, I, I know. I'm, it sounds like I'm making this up, but you can look it up. He gets to the other side, and he gets a wheelbarrow. This is this, and he walks it across. When he gets to the other side, he gets a sack of potatoes, and we're not talking about your Bel Air, you know, five-pound little, little, you know, gold, what do you call them, potatoes, California gold or whatever they call them. We're talking about, like, you know, old-school 80-pound sack of potatoes and walks across the line. And when he finally gets back to the other side, the crowd is cheering. They cannot believe it. And he says, do you believe that I can walk across the line? And they're like, yeah, of course we do. Charles Blondin, you're amazing. Oh my gosh, we, we love you. And he says, well, one of you who believes that I have the authority and the power to do this and I can, you know, I, I enjoy it and I just, you know, out of the goodness of my heart, would someone, would someone get in the wheelbarrow? And the crowd got silent. And no one got in. No one got in. And sadly, I think this is what we've done to Faith. We've said that faith is this assent to some theological truths, which includes that. And we have completely divorced it from risk, from trust of the one who we put our faith in. We believe you, God. Look at the stories. I mean, yeah, yeah, we believe you. Okay, get in the wheelbarrow, Sean. I mean... I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't know you were there. That much money? You want me to say what? I mean, I'm cool. I'm cool, God. Faith, this is my working definition, is one's core trust and growing trust in both God's absolute power to do anything and his absolute goodness in everything. I was going to tell you three stories to to build your faith or your trust in God's goodness and power in the area of money, but I went an hour last time, and I'm not going to do that this time. (laughs) For my sake as much as yours. 
I'm going to tell one. In 2010, uh, I uh, had moved from Arizona State University to the University of Hawaii. And uh, as you can imagine, the cost of living between Phoenix and Honolulu is about double. And after one year in Hawaii, I was fresh out of money. <laughs> and we raised support for our, for our job and our organization, or for ourselves in light of our organizational work. And um, I was in L.A. in the summer of 2010, and I needed money, and I needed it fast. And I was preaching at this youth group in L.A. And as I'm preparing to preach, let me check my time here. As I'm preparing to preach, um, I'm praying before, just a few minutes before, and I feel like the Lord, out of nowhere, says something to me. And the following day, I had an appointment set up with this couple who were friends of friends. Okay, And the friends that I was friends with, I hadn't seen in about eight years. And they were friends with them. So I had an, an appointment with these people to tell them about our vision and what we were doing. And I felt like the Lord, as I was praying before this talk, said, Sean, tomorrow I want you to ask the Calderons for $10,000. I'm praying. Yeah, that was a crazy thought. Cool. Okay, let's, let's focus on this. Thank you, God, for these young people. You know, I'm going to let them hear you. $10,000. I ignored it. I get up on stage. I preach. I go back home. Still. Ask them, Sean. This must be the enemy. I mean, who would in their right mind would say that to a person? No, no, no. God, no. I'm good. I couldn't sleep all night. I didn't sleep all night. I am a great sleeper. My parents-in-laws can attest. I did not sleep all night. I get to the meeting. I'm still not sure if I'm going to be stupid. I sit down with them. They've cooked a nice meal. And in the middle of it, I just say, you know what? <laughs> God, I think this is actually you. Um, okay, guys, sorry. This is a little awkward. I'm super nervous. Nervous as I've never been. And I said, I'm going to ask you something that may make you think I'm crazy because you've never met me. But I, I have to ask. I think I'm supposed to ask you for $10,000. And Norris, the, the, the wife, drops her fork. <laughs> and she looks at her husband. And then she looks back at me and she says, Sean, um, I have a story to tell you. I say, okay. <laughs> Go ahead, I think. <laughs> yeah. She says, yesterday I was at the bank. And uh, we had a CD mature. That's why I was at the bank. And it's our last CD. And I took the money out of the CD because we need it to live on. You see, we're both unemployed right now. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks, God. Cool. Awesome. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I took out half of the money. To live on, as I said. And I was going to put the other half back in. 
But as I was in the bank filling out the form, the Lord said, don't put it back in. I'm going to show you a better investment. Do you know how much money I was going to put back in but didn't? I said, no. $10,000. And I watched as two unemployed people wrote me a check for their last $10,000. I scanned it, and I keep it on my desktop to remind myself. Now, you may call that foolish. You may call that stupid. Dave Ramsey may call that financially unwise. I don't know. I like the guy, but maybe he would say that. But couldn't you say that about the widow? Couldn't you say that that was unwise? The question I have for us is, what does wisdom look like in regards to our money when it bumps up against faith? I don't think it's an easy answer. There's something about money that gets a hold of us. Jesus talks about money. The Bible talks about money 2,000 times. And it talks about faith 500. Why? Because Jesus and the authors of Scripture knew that there was something about money that just strangles faith. Luke, in Luke 16, 13, one of Jesus' most famous talks on money, he says, you cannot serve both God and money. The Greek word there in for cannot is this word dunamai, It's the same word that Jesus uses in Acts 1.8 when he says, Wait for me in Jerusalem until my Holy Spirit's dunamai, power, will come upon you. It's the root word. This is the root word of that word. And it actually means you will not have power. So when Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money, you will not have the power to serve both God and money. Money is something about it that it will get you. It will strangle the faith in your life if you allow it to. Love of money will keep us from trusting and obeying God. It is that powerful. It is that strong. It is that pervasive. This is what Jesus is pointing out in the widow. She trusted him. She trusted him. She got in the wheelbarrow. If I believe that God is both strong enough to do anything... And good enough in everything. Not good enough. Good in everything. If that is true, when I think about this widow, I have, I have to believe that God took care of her. I mean, the God of the universe noticed her. 
And she's inscribed in the pages of Scripture. I have to believe if he is good and strong that he took care of her. Just like he is the Calderons. I think we should all have one good story at least about money. There's my timer. I think we should all have at least good one story, one good story about money. Where we say, not out of our surplus, not out of this amount, you know, not an amount that is comfortable for us, but out, something that affects us. It makes us a little bit uncomfortable or maybe a lot bit uncomfortable. What would that look like? What would it look like if this church, Cornerstone, myself included, get in the wheelbarrow? Say, God, okay. I don't know what it is he might say to you. That's for you to decide. That's for you to listen and discern. I trust that God wants us to trust him. I believe that. And I trust that he's given us his Holy Spirit to do just that. And the only way that we see, that we, that we then experience his goodness and his power is when we get in the wheelbarrow. That's when we see it. Whoa, he got me to the other side. This is crazy. This is insane. God, you are good. Oh my gosh. I thought, I believed it this much, and now I believe it this much. Growing trust in God's goodness and power. I'll end with that. Jesus, thank you so much that you are, again, our Father. You're our good Father. And so we can trust you, Jesus. We can trust you with even something like our money. God, I bless, um, I bless the Calderons right now, even from this, this stage, eight years later, seven years later. I thank you for their faith, Lord, that would teach us, Lord, that would show us, Lord, a glimpse. I mean, this is a widow's might story today. Thank you for that. Thank you for that instruction in my life. We praise you, Jesus, and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.